Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. An ongoing conversation with ministry leaders about embracing complexity and uncertainty with joy and faithfulness. Friends, this is Adam Borneman with the Ministry Collaborative, and today I'm gathered with my colleagues, Jennifer Watley Maxell and Beth Daniel. And as a team, we're still reflecting on the deep tensions of Advent, particularly tensions that we think speak well beyond this time of year, but that are highlighted and amplified for us right now. I wanted to open our conversation about one of these tensions, the tension we experience of hope. And I was reminded of these lines from Willie James Jennings. These are actually from a lecture I heard him deliver at Princeton Seminary several years ago, and I wanted to use them to open up our conversation. This is on hope. Hope is a register of creaturely existence that deepens our communal sense of life. Hope means shared life, and it is also a crucial part of the architecture of a new sense of belonging. Hope, then, must be understood as a shared work of participating in the life of Jesus in the Spirit. This sense of hope must be understood not as private gestures of wish fulfillment, but work that must be engaged at the sites of despair that join people together. And so the issue is not, do you hope? The issue is, from where do you hope? Where do you join people in hope? Who do you join in hope? I do not simply have hope, but I find myself in hope. End quote. I thought this would be a, an interesting way, a different angle of getting at this theme. And I think a lot of what he says there rings true as I think about the life and ministry of Jesus, as I think about the way the scriptures talk about hope. And I wanted to put it before you two and get your thoughts. Yeah. So what I love about this quote and this conversation we're having is this invitation to belonging in this cultural moment where we are, that is one of the tensions, right? There are so many people who are alone. There are so many people who are surrounded by people in homes, in classrooms, in families who still feel incredibly lonely and by themselves. And so I think the invitation to this work of belonging as an outcome of hope is really, really important. And I think it's something that sometimes we lose sight of. And I think we tend to approach it from this kind of surface place of belonging. So if your name is on the roll at church, you belong. And the assumption is that's the only type of belonging you need. Or if you happen to have the same last name as we do, or if you tend to live in the same neighborhood. But we really don't get at what he's talking about, this kind of human creaturely way of existing together in creation. And I think it's really powerful, particularly when we think of Advent and the coming of Christ and the fact that God, God's self breaks into the human world and God's self infiltrates humanity and our creatureliness and doesn't sit afar, but becomes the glue, if you will, to our belonging. So I think it's such an appropriate way of thinking about this moment. And I think the challenge for us is to really think about how are we holding hope for those who may be hopeless? How are we extending hope for those who are finding themselves bereft and lost of hope at this time? Mm -hmm. Carrying on this idea of belonging, which I think is really important at all times, but particularly, I think, during 
this season that is supposed to be so joyful and so happy and we rush to Christmas as we've discussed before. So where I'm from, we don't say we're related to someone when we talk about family members. In Wales, we say we're belonging to them. And so this image of belonging is really important. I grew up saying, oh, I'm belonging to him. Even if we didn't speak, even if we didn't really hang out, if we were related in any way, you belonged to them. And that is a really important image of the church for me. There are lots of churches, lots of Christians, lots of people of faith who I don't know. But at some level, we belong to one another. And Mm. that obviously can be extended from the church and beyond. And it really is important at this time of year to do that. Going back to the quote, I just get stuck on this idea of the work of hope. I'm not sure I like that. Mm -hmm. Jennifer, you kind of rescued it a little bit for me. You said it's an outcome of hope, that work that we do, that work with each other. But hope, I think like grace is offered. And in this time of waiting, it is an opportunity for us to recognize it's there for us to receive and accept and then exercise. Adam Mixon and Adam Borneman and Amy Valdez-Barker had a great conversation about this idea of waiting. And I think waiting and hope are really related with one another. Hope, I think Adam Mixon said, is the substance that sustains us during that waiting period. And I don't think we need to work for substance. I think it's there. And the what we have to do is position ourselves in order to recognize it and receive it. And honestly, as church leaders, believe it. We claim it for everybody else. And yet we slip into fixing and maybe not exercising biblical hope, Mm -hmm. which really is a faith, an expectation, an anticipation in Christ. It's not in things. You don't hope in things. It's not a blind optimism. It is a hope in the person of Christ who makes all things new. There's so much in this quote, Adam, of the waiting and the working and the belonging. And I think that's the complexity of this season that we will miss unless we pay attention. Yeah. As you're talking, I can't help but think of hope as a place that we inhabit, just the grace of a place where we can belong with others. Towards the end, where Dr. Jennings says, it's not do you hope, but from where do you hope? And at the end, not just have hope, but to find myself in hope. And so I'm immediately thinking of the psalmist frequently talks about in you, I have my hope. It's just a different way of thinking of it, of just what is the sort of space that we inhabit with others in hope, even at those moments of despair and perhaps especially in moments of despair, the moments of persevering through things that are difficult. I think of God showing up in flesh in our midst as one of those sites of despair Jesus himself being that place and that person that we cling to for hope, a hope that is just offered to us freely. As you've been talking, Adam, it's really interesting. I don't know why, but for some reason, what I thought about is in at least my tradition, the African-American church tradition, you know, when someone passes away before their funeral, we have a wake. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. usually there's like two or three days when people have gathered together before the funeral. People are coming in from out of town and food is being made. And we're all very aware that we are heading toward this horrible thing of saying goodbye Mm. to this person who has been so impactful in our lives that we will miss dearly and to the mourning and grief that comes with that. 
But there's this moment, there's this time in between where there is a joy that we share as we remember the person, as we gather, as we hug each other, as we cook food that is brought to the house, as we comfort each other. Mm -hmm. And what I think about is in those moments, we are making a choice of where we will steward our attention and where we will steward our effort. That hope is not untethered from despair, that we're always kind of in this little chasm Mm -hmm. in the in-between. And I think in that in-between is where we have opportunities to redeem beauty Mm -hmm. and awe and wonder and delight and gaiety and levity. Some of my fondest memories of a child are at those times, even at the repast after the funeral, where we've buried the person and we come back and we're telling stories about the person and we're remembering all the good times and we're laughing and kids are running around. And it's just these moments, these pockets. And it doesn't mean that despair and grief and mourning are not going to circle back around because they're still with us. But even in there, there is something else. And I think that we are living in a cultural moment where there are so many people because they don't have a spiritual foundation. Mm. They don't have that something else. And I think part of our work as Christians is to exemplify and embody that something else, that deep joy that enlivens even suffering, Mm -hmm. that deep peace that abides even in the midst of turmoil and despair. And I think sometimes we give ourselves over to kind of this cultural hopelessness. And I think that's where the spiritual disciplines and reading your Bible and putting on that good, for me, gospel music that I grew up with, that keeps me not just lifted and happy, quote unquote, but it really does tie me back to the tradition of our faith. Mm. Jennifer, I love that image of the wake, and I don't want to rush past it because when you describe that scene, I think this is hope. This is joining together with others, facing death and despair with hope, without fear. It captures all of those elements in one swift move. Uh, Jennifer, one of the things you just said about that in-between time that you know it's not where you want to be, but you still have hope was the idea of telling stories. And I think we as Christians need to be in the business of telling stories, stories of our own life, our own witness, but also remembering the biblical stories, looking back, there is a strong tie between memory and hope. And that tie is strengthened when we look back and we tell the stories of how God has shown up in the Bible throughout history, but also in our own lives. That telling of stories is what gives us hope for the future. And you mentioned that there's this hopelessness in the world, but oftentimes we're seen as these like shiny, happy Christians who are living in our own universe. And the danger is flipping to the other side where we just adopt this kind of Pollyanna view of everything and holding that tension between, like you said in the wake, of we are fully immersed in the grief and yet we're still claiming something bigger than ourselves. So it's rooted and grounded in something that's so deep and so real. It's not so superficial or so hopeless. And I think the way we do that as leaders of the church and as Christians and as witnesses is to remember our stories, to tell our stories, to encourage others and ourselves with the stories of God. 
I think that's so on point, Beth. One of my daughters, my youngest daughter, Skylar, her birthday is right before Christmas. And this year she's turning 16, which is a big birthday. And so we've been trying to figure out what to do. We had all these big grandiose ideas. And at one point she said, but mom, I don't want to get in the way of Christmas. She said, you know, last year we had a small Christmas because we traveled and the kids wanted bigger stuff. And so we didn't do all the gifts and everything that we normally do. And she missed it. And so this year she's been on kind of this reclaiming Christmas type mode where she was even willing to sacrifice her birthday celebration, what she wanted, because there was something else, something better, something different that she chose for herself. And as a result, Thanksgiving, she was like, let's get the tree up. Let's go do this. Let's bake the cookies. Let's do all the things. And, you know, for me, who's busy and overworked and tired and exhausted, I'm just doing the best I can. But yet when she talks about these things, it brings me out of my own exhaustion and tiredness and my kind of bah humbugness. And it really does reorient me to what's really important at this time of year, belonging, family, shared traditions, even when we are not happy that being unhappy with somebody next to you is usually better than being happy without and that God is abiding with us through it all. And God's promise of return is still there, that what we have is not the whole story, that Christ is coming back. God is going to break through again and do something amazing. And there's an excitement and expectation and looking forward to that. In Advent, we have these traditions and we have a choice. I think someone said earlier on, I think it was you, Jennifer, about hope being a choice, a decision, a discipline. And I think that's true. And the danger at this time of year is we just go into modes as leaders, but also as families. And we go and we light the candle of hope and we light the candle of peace and we light the candle of joy. And then finally it's love and finally it's Christmas. And all these things are really important. Like you said, the traditions are really important. The trouble is when the traditions become the point, the main thing. And I honestly think that sometimes those of us in the church who are leading are the worst, are guilty of this more than anybody else. Mm -hmm. And we're claiming it and we're encouraging other people to slow down and to pay attention and to receive and to believe. And all the while, we're just frazzled and exhausted and not feeling any of those things. So as we're talking here, and for those who are listening, going along with the other podcasts we've done on Advent, I just encourage, maybe even implore that recognition that this hope and this peace and this joy is not something we need to create or manufacture or fake. It exists in the midst of the mess. It is true in the midst of the mess. And it is possible because of that final candle, that final week of Advent when we celebrate how love came down. Without that, none of this conversation makes any sense. Mm. But we need to grab hold of that for ourselves, not just for our congregations or our communities. Yeah, it's a really important time of year to wrestle with everything you just said. If I remember correctly, I think it's Thomas Merton who makes this really important distinction between tradition and convention, that convention is something that we just kind of keep doing, and it's always at risk of losing the substance. But that actually, if we really understand tradition, it's something that 
has the raw material for us to continue to evolve and build upon and continue to seek God's revelation, continue to seek God's voice. It's supposed to be the architecture that allows us to do that, particularly in the case of hope. I think making those distinctions and paying closer attention to the deeper substantive things is not only very important for us, but also life-giving, making a lot at stake for us. When we think of hope as waiting, it doesn't sound fun. Waiting is also long-suffering. When we think of hope as anticipating, which is what the biblical words actually convey, this idea of anticipating, but also confidently expecting something, then hope becomes beautiful. And we hold all of those things in tension as we go through this Advent season. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast, a project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation. The Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Our producer is Marthane Sanders. To find out more about our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org. 